Well, that's exactly right. What we've done is we've taken the 360, we've added a DSP, and then we've... What happened to your eyes? That big eye. You don't need eyes to see. professional movie I was very entertained by the idea of being able to go into video stores and find it on the shelf it's funny because it's it's sort of you know when you go to blockbuster you'll find it in the horror section to my great surprise and to this day inexplicably it was listed in the comedy section <laughs> I guess it's a thriller with a, with a bit of a horror twist to it the story has the logic of a nightmare well it's a thriller to me it's not really a horror film I'm not a big fan of horror movies. it's definitely a psychological thriller first of all it's a very Strange and you know, horrible fairy tale. Incredible action in this movie. Drive, drive, and hunt, and you know, and scare, scare. You could possibly put it into the action section. It's a mind fuck. Right? I've never exactly felt comfortable with quote horror with it being a horror movie. And it's a weird movie. I mean, it's still a movie about a killer. Certainly, somewhere between that and thriller, so some sort of suspense, thriller, horror in there somewhere. I don't think there's any moment where you wouldn't think that this could happen out there. Now, if you've never seen this film, you can't look at this film and know what's going to happen. The inspiration for The Hitcher was the Doors song, Riders in the Storm, uh, which is about a hitchhiking killer. And I always loved the song and thought that it was a great opening for a film. So um, I started with the screenplay of The Hitcher. I started with the opening 10, 12-odd page scene between Jim Halsey and John Ryder and basically went from there. I got a copy of the California production manual, first of all, while I was living in Texas and went down the list of all the producers and I sent what's called a query letter. Basically, I sent a half-page uh, description of the story and I kind of dared people to read it. I got a 40% response and I actually got to Ed Feldman by accident. I'd sent the the letter actually to a producer named Phil Feldman, who produced The Wild Bunch, and I said, thought, well, he's probably a good idea to take a look at the hitcher. And it got to Ed's company by accident. My associate at the time, uh, David Bombeck, thought it was a very good idea for a, a movie, and he said, could he uh, develop it? And so we developed the movie over the phone. We never met Eric Red, 
until uh, we had the final draft of the picture. We used to do, he would be on pay phones in Texas, and we would talk over the, the project with him. Between the time I was a still photographer and the time I became a director, I was a cameraman. I was a DP for some number of years. Not something I really wanted to do for a living, but I felt this was a logical progression from still photography and a position in which I could really learn much more clearly how movies are made and get closer to the action, so to speak. And Robert had done a short film called China Lake, which had a very, it was about a rogue cop and it had, was shot in widescreen and had a same sense of hard-edged realism and violent psychology. And China Lake was in the same spirit and genre as the Hitcher, and uh, he had been a stills cameraman. And I don't know, we were just overwhelmed by his work on China Lake. My agent at the time called, and I still remember his words. He said to me, I have a project I'm gonna send you. And you're not gonna believe, he said, how much fun you're gonna have making this movie. My agent sent over the script of this thing called The Hitcher, and as I was reading it, I was thinking, oh, Boy, did I ever make the right short film to get this job? Because I had, in effect, already made the movie. Well, John Seal had uh, done uh, Witness for me. Just to meet John Seal, you want to keep working with him forever. He's really such a unique individual. And uh, Ed said, you should listen, uh, you should check out this guy, John Seal. Of course, I'd never heard of him. Nobody in America had heard of him at that time. I wasn't too impressed with the script. <laughs> um, I did feel that there were an awful lot of people killed in the first 36 minutes. Um, and a lot of it as written was uh, slow motion death. And I wasn't really honestly prepared for that. So I talk, had a long talk to Robert Harmon on the phone and, and proffered that and said, look, I'm a little worried that there's so many people just getting slaughtered in slow motion. And he said, no, 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 let me tell you how, we're, how I'd like to see the film made. And I think 23 minutes later, I signed up. And I hired him, I'd never met him. I met him the first time when he came to LA to begin work on the movie. And it proved to be a very happy collaboration. There was a brief period, I recall, in which we were discussing Terrence Stamp, somebody I was very interested in. And uh, it didn't work out. Terrence was very clear that he, uh, he felt that it would take him in a place he didn't want to go at that moment. That's how he put it. And he's been very kind in the years since. I run into him every now and then, and he has always expressed regret that he had made the decision, because he seems apparently he's a fan of the movie. Sam Elliott came through an interview. We, we interviewed him one Sunday morning at, at somebody's office in, in the San Fernando Valley. He was so scary that I was afraid to go out in my car and even drive by anyone. But he, he I thought he was going to do the film, and then he backed out at the 11th hour. And uh, we got uh, Rutger. We were very fortunate, I mean, to get an actor of Rutger's caliber. Yes, Rutger was, I thought, an unattainable possibility. I believe what pushed him over the edge was that he screened my short. He wanted to see what I had done as a director. I saw a short film that he had financed himself uh, because he was tired of being a set photographer or a playboy photographer he was for two years and he wanted to photograph movies. And it was a wonderful movie. 
I saw that film along with the script and I just felt, you know, look, I, I gotta do this movie. Who is he? We don't know. No prison record, no driver's license, no birth certificate. John Ryder is on one hand a very tough, resourceful, murderous character, but on another hand no longer wants to live or continue. But he wants to stick around long enough to pass on to this one kid, uh, this one person who he finds has a, a force of life, how to be, in his terms, strong enough to survive. In the original script, he was described as skeletal with um, apologies to him. I remember that Eric Red used to talk about Keith Richards as the model. <laughs> um, he was also described in the script that I recall reading first as having no natural voice, but he had a uh, sort of a vo an electronic voice box. I think in general the portrayal physically and emotionally of, of the writer character in the original script was uh, a little bit more monstrous. You know, I mean, he was certainly a human being, but he was he was, I think, without goodness, without any quality of of, uh, of anything human. He was just a force of horror and, and, and awfulness. There's so many elements to it that we, we think about, you know, because Rutgers character shows up at the right time, at the right place. Is he magic? Is he supernatural? John Ryder? That's a rental company. This guy's name is not John Ryder, forget it. And uh, to me, he, you know, he doesn't exist. He's just a piece, you know, he's just a ghost that comes out of the desert sand and starts haunting people. You know, he's shooting down helicopters with pistols, he's slicing people up left and right and they can't catch him. He can uh, sneak into a jailhouse and kill all the cops and unlock my cell without me knowing. There are valid criticisms of the movie in terms of, oh, well, how could he pop up here and how could he pop up there and how could he know where he was and all those questions, which are, from one point of view, valid questions, but from my point of view, and I believe from Eric's and Ed Feldman's and all the other filmmakers involved in the movie, the questions are not appropriate, you might say. It's just, it's, it's, if you don't get it, you don't get it. But the movie's not supposed to work on this super real level. I think it's a normal story of a serial killer, except the cleverness of the script made it more, you may, he made the man more than just a character on television where you see villains today. He made, I think it's one of the most horrific characters in the history of films. And I think that's why the picture was uh, enjoyed the success it did. To me, the first thing that is scary about a character is intelligence. You know, if the guy is intelligent, and, and now we know they are around, but that's scary. So you know you can't fool him too easily. You have to be smart to fool him. It lifts up the whole story. It lifts up the bad guy. It lifts up the hero. The, the, you know, the more, the more complicated, the more complex the, the, the bad guy is, the, the better the hero is off when he finally gets it. I don't want to die! My character shows him that I want to win, that I'm not so fearful that I'll just collapse and let you stick that knife in my heart and drain my life. I want to survive. And he recognizes that, and that inspires him to take me to the next level. He says, okay, kid, I'm taking you on a ride. What are you doing? And 
terms of the character, I thought, you know, this is a guy who knows he's very sick, but he doesn't quite know where to go to have it fixed, or he doesn't know how to end it. He is a coward to, if he would have the guts to commit suicide, that'll be fine, but he doesn't have that. So he, I guess in his, you know, somewhere in his mind, he comes up with an idea that if he can f just find somebody who gives a little shit. Why are you doing this to me? And he can have some fun with, and then we'll ask him to just take him out of the way. You're a smart kid. Figure it out. Now, I thought Rudka's character was a very well-balanced um, weirdo in the desert, you know, and very frightening because of that, because he was subdued, too. He just wasn't some screaming maniac. He was very subdued and evil about the whole thing, and I think that, that built a suspense in the film that uh, might not have occurred otherwise. Ryder wants to teach the kid, train the kid, make him, strengthen him, forge him. And the kid, like all pe people who are, you know, in the process or, or being challenged by someone, has both a, a terror and a respect for this guy, and also, um, by the end of it, a desire to to rid the world of him. It may be a slight, slightly twisted view of it, but at the end of the movie, I certainly have always felt that Tommy is left to wonder whether or not, if he could, if the if the Tommy's character, if the Halsey character could turn back the clock and choose to have never met John Ryder. I'm not so sure that he would choose that, that he would change anything. At the end, uh, there's that moment when Rutger is laying on the pavement and Tommy walks up to him and he certainly believes that he's dead. The fact that he isn't is immaterial at that moment. And he kind of caresses his hair with the gun. It's a sort of a farewell. You know, he's not walking over to him with the gun and, and putting five more bullets in him or turning the rifle around and bashing him on. It just would be completely wrong. There's a certain gentleness, Is almost controversial though this may be almost a thank you involved in it. That's how I've always felt about it. I was doing a tremendous amount of driving around the California area looking for locations so it was incredibly carefully picked locations and they were carefully picked as far as their design, where the mountains laid out, where the sun was, all these elements that came together. It was shot down in uh, the areas around El Centro, California on through the Death Valley unto the Vegas area. So you get that really old style Western look. A lot of the pre-production was trying to, to suss out how Robert wanted to handle it and, and, and how, how to make the desert, you know, look basically a beautiful place where this madness was going on. I don't know how many people respond to this, but it was shot in a widescreen format in, in true anamorphic and 235 Panavision. And if you see it in that form, certainly on a screen, on a, on a big screen, it has a certain scope to it. And I also think um, so much of the movie is about, you might say, uh, figures in a landscape. And as soon as you begin to have enormous scope shots with small cars and small figures, you start to feel a certain scale to it. I feel that, that John's great strength is that um, his work is beautiful, but always natural. You don't get the feeling, for the most part, of of a cameraman trying to show off. Well, he films in a very uh, humanistic way. I mean, he he doesn't try, when he has to shoot in a small area, he does it in a small area. And in fact, I like it because I, in some ways I feel putting the camera in the area that the actors 
must be in, say like inside a car or a small jail cell or shed or whatever. Uh, if the camera's included with the actors inside, somehow I think there's a better, it's a better way of making a film than when you pull the wall out, the actor's uh, psych knows that it's a fake set. We know it's a fake set and the camera almost proves that it's a fake set because it can shoot from angles that aren't real. How about that shot on the western dolly down low on the road after I kick Rutger out and it comes zooming up to him as he stands up and he just pans up with him, man. He was on a sandbag on a dolly himself, having two boys push him down the street. And of course, it's cinema, cinematography, you know. It's, it's, that's good stuff, you know. It's not television, it's big and it's wide, you know, it's open. The process of working with a younger director, I find can be quite exciting because they know no limitations. They, their imagination goes rampant. And in a way that's fun because Eric's writing was like rampant. He, he had this stuff in there. And, and then Robert, I think very wisely, was pulling it back and doing it by inference. And I think that young innocence of new writers and new directors. It was very exciting to work with. The experience was very intense and I was a young actor um, with limited skills and limited tools at the age of 18 that was put into a very uh, life-altering situation. I mean, as I'm talking in my real life, not in, in the movie. I really had to deal with, uh, with Rutger, who was just very intense and that was possibly the peak of his Rutgerness, if that makes any sense. And he was a very intense, very intimidating person. I remember how excited he was in the, you know, when he knew that we were gonna do it and he said, you know, I've never acted before really and now I'm, I'm gonna act now. And he was, you know, he was stoked. And uh, what I loved specifically about him that he was, he was totally into whatever would happen between us in the scene. And I was also working with the amazing Jennifer Jason Lee, who is as equally intense when it comes to her craft, because this is an actress who has many skills and many tools in her bag. And she made the choice to never break character out of the scene, in the scene. I mean, she was always that character. So here I was, the third in this triangle of some people who showed up every day to kick some ass. And I, I felt um, for the first time pressure, what real pressure was to, to deliver. Do you want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? There's this moment where I actually elbow him out of the car after he's had the knife and he catches a tear off of my cheek and he holds the knife up to the camera and the tear runs down the blade. This is not written stuff, this is Rutger. And I'm like, dude, don't fucking stab me in the eye with that knife, you know? And he's very intense with it, picking my tear up and letting that tear run down the blade. And these are the things that I think people picked up as homoerotic moments. When I spit on him in the jail cell and he licks it up. Well, why would he do that? Is he gay? It's like, dude, it's just interesting filmmaking. I was just, you know, as creative as I can be and just, I always come up with uh, uh, hundreds of ideas and then the, it's sort of up to the director to, uh, 
to say, okay, that, that can go and that you can keep and, you know. And I was fascinated working with him. I mean, I just couldn't, you know, he'd be driving down the desert full speed in a black truck and he, there's a white hanky blowing out the window of the truck. And that's just Rutger is holding a hanky out as he's driving. You know, and the director's not gonna say, hey bro, don't, don't, don't put the hanky out the window. The sport of this picture to me and the way the character sort of dances around with, you know, with the characters in the movie and with the audience as well is that he has to put them on the wrong leg in order to surprise them again. And that was my goal, basically. The thing is, is he doesn't ex sit down and explain to everybody, okay, director, this is what I'm doing. Producers, this is what I'm doing. I mean, he just goes and we're all going, what's he got the white hanky out the window for? I don't know. Do you want to ask him? Not really. <laughs> What's for lunch? <laughs> and you you watch it, and it's just there's a reason for it, and it pays off at the end. There's a there's a wonderful scene where uh, Ryder's just shot the two police officers in the car when he's tried to turn himself in, and. Uh, the kid grabs a gun and he's, it's it, he's going to commit suicide. That's, there's no reason to live, this, the nightmare's got to end, and he puts the gun under his jaw. When the director yelled action, it was like something took over. There was this, and it's one of, a really beautiful moment where I fell out of the car and I raised my fingers and I started going bang, bang, and kind of losing it. And I started to rub this dirt in my face and I, I looked up to the sky kind of clinging to God just in time, which normally would have ruined the movie, for a big cloud to move away and hit me right in the face. And that's when my character just stood up, shook it off, and said, I'm gonna fucking meet this guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this guy on. And it all happened in that moment. The director was clever enough to appreciate the work that took place as opposed to, ah, uh, we had a lighting change. We gotta do that one more time. My DP, John Seals, who's an Academy Award winning DP, probably my favorite and most talented DP I've ever worked with, said in his Australian accent, oi mate, look at that there. Let's just get another shot of that cloud going by. And we cut it in, and it's a brilliant moment, mate. And that's what they did. And you know, it's funny how fans pick up on that stuff because they've seen the movie again and again and again and they start seeing that stuff. There's so much to be intimidated by that, you know, you know, most of the audience are always sort of in the same mode as he is. Once you're past that, you know, you can, you can start seeing other things, which is great fun, I think. We desperately tried to find angles and ways of shooting the stunts that would be would be would maximize the the stunt effect. I mean it was a stunt movie and I went for it. I'd had an idea which uh, which seemed at the time like a good one. Everybody has to remember that this was before the days of uh, computer animation of any kind. Uh, there weren't even that many computers behind the scenes, much less involved in actually making the movie. Uh, it was the sequence of the movie where the three cars are lined up side by side, the end of the, the, end of the chase scene. And two police cars are flanking Tommy Howell and Jennifer's car, which is in the middle. 
they're about to shoot him from either side out of their two police cars. And the, the Tommy Hal character gets the idea to jam on the brakes. And since they're all moving down the road together at 65 miles an hour or so, uh, when he puts on those brakes, he would therefore immediately back away and the two cops would in fact shoot each other, which is what happened. So I had this bit of coverage that it occurred to me that we would take a, uh, we'd take a camera car, an insert car as it's sometimes called, and uh, crane off the side of that car with a camera, off a little crane arm. So our camera car is driving behind one of the two cop cars. And we are craned out and flying along the roadway about that far off the ground, six inches or so off the ground. So the road is whizzing by the camera. And the idea there was when Tommy Howell's car hits its brakes, of course, it would immediately come right back at that camera. Uh, but since we're on a crane arm, theoretically, as that happened, we could go and move the camera right over and let that car go right under the lens. We would continue traveling at 60 miles an hour as the two cop cars began to roll. Completely insane idea. We did the stunt and it, it all went off very well until uh, C. Thomas Howell's car went backwards, the camera went in the air, it shot underneath. The other two cars started to go into their turn and should have made safe, but the outer one went into a long slide and crossed over and came into the insert vehicle lane. And of course it was shedding speed a lot faster than the insert vehicle and the insert vehicle driver, who was a fantastic driver, he realised that he had men on top of the vehicle. He had a camera on the front of the vehicle as well on a low platform, so he had a man on the front of his vehicle who was now looking like he was going to be squashed between the police car and the insert vehicle. So in a, in a split second, he made a decision to put the right-hand wheel down and swerve the insert vehicle to the right. And it just ended up sliding sideways, trying to trying not to hit the police car. And... Uh, with the guys on the roof, and we shuddered to a halt. The one thing I never want on a picture is anyone to get hurt. No movie is worth anyone getting hurt. It doesn't matter how well we planned things back then, there was always uh, an opening for uh, <clears throat> accidents to happen, and, and luckily the professionalism of that man's driving was such that we just got out of that you know, quite happily, but we were pretty careful again after that. Rutger was an amazing man. Uh, I remember one scene at the uh, petrol gas station that um, he had to drive out of the shed of the uh, garage, out of the, the door, smash the door, and then he had to go up and around and come back and, and knock over all the petrol pumps. And the stunt coordinator tried it with the door open and he drove out, roared up the top, turned the wheel, couldn't make it, slammed it in reverse, went back, filled, came down and knocked over the pumps and Rudka just stood there looking at it. And he said, let me do it, we'll roll film. So all the cameras were set up and we rolled film. And he crashed out of that garage. He went up and did a full power turn without stopping and backing and filling and roared down and knocked the pumps over. And I think the poor stuntmen sat there with their mouths open because he did something that really, you know, even the good stuntman was having trouble doing and he just did it like that. There was a love scene in the motel room, but I remember when we were going to film that scene, 
Jennifer, I believe, wasn't feeling that that was a truthful moment. She felt like that was one of those Hollywood moments that, like, okay, well, here's where the guy in the movie sleeps with the girl in the movie. Well, wait a minute. Everybody's dead, and we're running for our lives. Hello? That scene was changed a bit. It didn't seem to feel right that Nash and Halsey would have sex. You know, there was something that it's, it's not a consummated relationship between the two of them and she's going to get, you know, torn apart between two trucks. And it was, it's, was better to keep the tension that it might happen, but not consummated. They already like each other. They're, they're surviving. There's already a bond. It's a survival bond. And that's heavier than anything. I feel a film scorer's job is, is to help tell the story, to help. In a sense, you should almost be able to turn the dialogue off and have the music tell the story. There was a film called Mrs. Sofal that Mark did the score for. Again, it must have been one of his very first scores, and I thought it was fantastic. I really liked the movie too, but I walked out of the movie and I was so amazed by the music. He he just called me. I get he must have gotten his my phone number from uh, from my agent or something, and said I've I've been a fan of yours. And we had several long phone conversations long before we met. And he just expressed his his enthusiasm and just describing what he wanted to make and and it all sounded fascinating to me. And and he said yes. And I still don't quite know why, but uh, we've been friends ever since and worked together many times. I fortunately came into this business when video was available to the common man, and so I could have a video machine at home and, and work directly to the picture. Having a synthesizer keyboard and a computer so I can play something in, record it in the computer, hit play on the video, hit play on the computer, and become an audience for a moment and just see, is it working? Is there a connection there? And then the good news is that the director can come and sit next to me and we can have that discussion before we have to get on the dubbing stage and spend lots of money to record anything for real. We can test it out on ourselves and we can interact and we can move it. You know, we can try it five seconds earlier. We can take the drums out. We can you know, play the melody backwards. We can get it the way both he and I know that we're gonna want it. He just enhances the visualization. He just, he just brings you to it. He becomes one with it as opposed to sometimes it, I think score can be a distraction for me when I'm watching a movie and all of a sudden, oh, there's the score. Oh, oh yeah, this is a movie. You know, instead of an experience where it all becomes one and it goes together. And that's what this score of this film did for me, which I loved. I mean, it really, it really is one with the film and you don't feel that the score is, is a distraction. Well, it's a beautiful use of sound. There's a scene when um, Jim Halsey's locked into the police station after he's been arrested, and he goes to sleep, and he's, uh, he starts having a dream, and he's dreaming of picking up John Ryder, and when Ryder 
through his from his point of view, leans over and knocks on the windshield of the car. It's a sound of several gunshots. And the kid wakes up and into the police station and the cell doors open and he finds that riders come in and shot all the police officers or, or cut their throats. And so in fact the you know the that those gunshots had intruded on his dream. That's a sort of subjective stuff. Uh, it's a turn on to me, you know, the sounds, how you put the sound of a movie together because sound goes straight to your heart. It does not go through a filter of, you've seen this before, you have never heard anything before like this because it's always original. I think we previewed the film in New Jersey. Uh, it was all very fun. There's certain moments, of course, in the film where they scream, and then when, when uh, Nash dies, you can hear people in the audience saying, it's not gonna happen, it's not gonna happen, oh my God, no. It was so much fun, they were on their chairs. And uh, that's the moment, you know, you work for, uh, to see how it gets there and how it is received, and then you know that you did it right. Some people came over and thought it was a masterpiece, some people wanted to kill me. I mean, there was a couple of nuns came over to me in the theater and say, how dare you show this movie? And I think it has to do with the realism of the psychology between John Ryder and Jim Halsey. It's not a Freddy movie. It's not a Candyman movie. It's not a guy in a ski mask with a machete that's some kind of fantasy. But the LA Times decided they wanted to do the cover story of the Sunday, New uh, Sunday LA Times magazine uh, about the movie. And we thought, wow, that's fantastic. It'll be on the cover of the, you know, it's called Calendar Section of the Los Angeles Times. And we were all interviewed, and it was all very positive feeling. You know, it was all very laudatory, sort of, the movie and how effective it is and all kinds of issues. And we we're all thinking, this is great. This will be wonderful publicity, and it'll be fantastic. So we all are interviewed, and uh, the day comes for this front cover story of the uh, LA Times calendar to come out. And I remember opening the paper and looking at the front page of the calendar and thinking, I must be dreaming, because the headline of the story on the front page was a large shot of Rutger with his coat blowing in the wind. It was a still from the movie, from what we used to call the ghost gas, you know, this dust storm and Rutger's long coat. It was a very evocative shot. But the headline read, How Do These Movies Get Made? By, I forgot her name. Um, and it was basically a story which we all felt we had been thoroughly tricked by this journalist because there was no hint in her, in her discussion of the questions or what the, what the nature of the take of the story was going to be, that it was in effect not even necessarily negative about the movie, but it was a kind of a uh, moralistic, quote, these movies, how do these movies get made that are so horrifying and so frightening. only about a year ago when a woman uh, that I met heard that I'd, I'd photographed The Hitcher and she said that dreadful film she said how could you how could you have torn that child apart between those trucks and I thought she's sounding like she actually saw it and I said but you didn't see that I said there was just a fantastic little editing of of 
you know, the accelerator going up and down, the clutch coming in and out, Rudka saying, shoot me, shoot me, and the gun in his forehead, and, and, and the kid not being able to shoot, and I said, and then the revving and the clutch and the revving and the clutch, and then suddenly the wheel turns and you hear a scream and you go to black. She said, not at all true. I saw that poor child get torn apart. And I thought to myself, I thought, I know what's happened. You closed your eyes and you saw it in your mind's eye. And when you opened your eyes, we were into the next scene. And for all intents and purposes, she had seen uh, Jennifer Jason Lee torn apart, but you never see it. When uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is torn apart, supposedly the good old uh, Indian way, you know, because it's, uh, it's uh, the medieval period, they used to do that. And, and the Indians sort of uh, did some of that too. Four horses and here they go. Yeah, we're funny creatures. People always ask me, well, where's the cut footage of Jennifer Jason Lee being ripped in half, that great makeup effect? And it was never a makeup effect. And it was never in, in the script that was never seen on screen either. It was, it, was, uh, it was off screen. It was done actually by sound. And of course, you know, uh, the sound does the trick there. The sound of the truck does the trick. You know, 500 horsepower. Not four, 500. <laughs> The Hitcher is a film that's funny. It's it's really a film more about how it's not, how you don't show it than how you show it, and people think it's a much more violent film. And it had a it had a got a tremendous reputation when it came out for being this incredibly violent picture. And there's certainly a lot of violence that happens in it, but it's not not seen. A lot of it's left to your imagination, or it, it occurs off screen. You know, it's Blade Runner is uh, 22 years ago, and this is 15 years ago. Uh, but these are, to me, they're big moments because they give you, they give you, they give you trust. Because if you feel that strong about something, there's something to be found, and there's, you know, there's, there's no way, or there's no no use in fighting it. Uh, I think the people who love movies regard The Hitcher as a classic of its kind, and uh, they don't make pictures really like that anymore. The Hitcher is just my kind of movie, man. Good acting, good cinematography, wicked stunts, and a hell of a story. What else do you want? It's now, what, 15 or 16 years later, and I still think, I can't believe this. This is great. I mean, it's full of trouble and full of problems and full of, and full of, um, oh, all kinds of issues, but they're all within the confines of a much larger perspective of, wait a second, we're just making movies here. It's not the end of the world. So uh, I'm quite happy about it all.
Hey everybody, welcome back to Pop Culture Purgatory. This is Jeremy. This is D Song. All right, this episode. Oh, also happy Halloween. Happy I, Halloween. I forget to say that. I know, I do um, too. It's like it's our favorite month, and like we never lead with that. It's my fault. No, too. <laughs> I know. So much so that I I write like in huge fucking letters on my notepad. Happy Halloween. Say it. Don't on the show fucking forget to say it. Yeah, I should do that too from now on. I make notes with everything else. I have to do that. I, apparently, I'm going to need a script by the time we get further into this. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea, actually. Uh, but I always put it on the uh, – I put it in the notes when I put the episode up every time. Okay, like, hey, happy Halloween. Welcome back to Purgatory. Right. But uh, So on this one, we're talking about uh, – I, I, I would assume it's probably um, better revered today than it was back then. I'm sure when it came out, back yeah, then, oh, man. But – uh, but we're talking about the the picture from 1986. Heading west on a long, lonely highway, only his dreams for company, until my mother told me never to do this. Before many miles, he'll wish he'd taken his mom's advice. When Jim Halsey let the hitcher into his car, he opened the doors of hell. What do you want? I want you to stop me. Once you've met the Hitcher, you'll never pick up another. My wallet's in my pocket. Shut up! We know how to do it. Jesus! Why are you doing this to me? You're a smart kid. Figure it out. I didn't do it. I didn't do any of it. I'm not a killer. Hold on! This morning, this guy tried to kill me. He's been following me ever since. Yeah, and I I gotta say um, I've always I've always said this about this movie. It's my favorite slasher movie, and I think Bugder um, Hauer is the greatest slasher of all time, in my opinion. Oh yeah, man! And you know what's crazy? I was uh, before I started um, kind of reading trivia or anything about this one. I was even thinking to myself, like, who could anybody else play this role? And I was like, no. And then I read the trivia, and apparently Sam Neill was casted yeah. first, yeah. like. Dude, that That's would crazy. have been that would have been something to see right there. But I, I, of course, I love the way it turned out. Don't get me wrong. For sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, a lot, a lot of this. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I said Sam Neill, Sam Elliott. I'm sorry, Sam Elliott from was supposed to was was cast in the role. <laughs> okay, yeah. I see, like Ben Bowie, Harry Dean Stanton, Terrence Stamp. 
This uh, is according to Sting. Um, yeah, I know, right? Well, because he was described as like really skinny in the script, and so they oh, kind of okay. had all this other view. But Rucker Howard in his, um, uh, I guess, autobiography, you know, he he said that Elliot was so scary when he came into audition that Edward S. Fieldman was afraid to go to his car afterwards. <laughs> but Sam, Sam Elliott had some scheduling conflicts and had to back out of the role, and so Rucker Howard was cast. Man, Sam Elliott would have been really cool. Maybe that it would make more sense because, the, like, the Texas, you know, takes place in Texas. That would be really creepy. Like, this for a gentleman cowboy. I could see him being pretty fucking menacing. He's always, he's usually plays good guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's why we really, that would, you're right. I think that would have been really, really interesting. Interesting to see, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, and, you know, once again, I love Rucker Howard. This is probably one of his best performances. I love I him in so many agree. movies, but he's great in this. And it's nice to see him and Jennifer Jason Lee again. Because they just had worked together on was it Flesh and Blood or Flesh not long blood. before? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, a, a Verhoeven movie, which is really that's fucked a, up. I know it's a fucked up one too, man. I remember it I was is. so excited to watch that for the first time, and I got Me too. I was like, man, that was just like gross. I feel dirty now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gross. Like, God, the, the rape sequences. It's like mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, uh, but it's still like, a great movie. It, it really is. It, it is. I remember like well. Uh, this, we must have watched it around the same time because I remember it popped up on Prime. I was like, I like jumped up like, oh, fuck, yeah, if I get to see a Fairhoven movie. And I start watching I'm like, oh, fuck. I, when you first mentioned movie. it to me, I, I couldn't find it anywhere. It was, and I guess like maybe a month later, it just popped up on Prime. And I was like, holy yeah. crap, I got to watch this right now. <laughs> but yeah, well, back for, to this one. It, this is one of my, you know, I got to mention that the cast, of not only Jennifer Jason Lee and Hucker, but C. Thomas Howell is great in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's C. probably C. the best great. thing that he's in. I think in. so, too. Uh, and uh, Jeffrey DeMunn. Oh, there, he's yeah, fantastic. I love that so guy. So awesome. Yeah, and he's been in so many movies, too. I love when he Jeffrey says, um, he said, like when they have, uh, they have Rutger Howard, well, John Ryder, they have, uh, they have him in custody, and he's like, oh, we, we've taken his fingerprints and put him through the computers with nothing coming up. Nothing <laughs> so coming funny. up. I know, it's so goofy. Through the computers. He, but he's always played a lot of, like, just inept characters like that, too. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Very likable very likeable guy. Yes. Yeah. You see him. Well, I gotta mention. Uh, well, I gotta mention first. Um, if just in case no one's ever seen this movie, I'll give a quick synopsis of it. Uh, a young man who escapes the clutches of a murderous hitchhiker is subsequently stalked by the hitcher and framed for his crimes. That kind of says it all I mean, right that's, there. That's pretty much yeah. That's the yeah. <laughs> that's the whole kit and caboodle. But yeah, like, just a whole bunch of fucked up shit happens. <laughs> a bunch of fucked up shit. Um, this guy, I, I'm a big fan of Eric Red, the dude who wrote this this movie. Yes, me too. I was looking at his stuff. And I was like, huh, kind of surprised me. Ow. Yeah, uh, he's kind of underrated too. Um, but did you ever, um, this is a thing that I've known about for a long time, I guess because I like him, his writing so much. Have you ever read that, uh, that car, about that car accident he was in? Uh, no, I didn't. I don't think I deep dove Check that this much. Out. This might blow your mind. So following a car accident, this is this takes, back, takes place in the early 2000s. Um, he crashed his truck into a, a crowded bar in Los Angeles, oh, and resulting in the deaths of two patrons. After the incident, Red apparently ex- exited his vehicle and attempted suicide by slitting his own throat with a piece Whoa. of glass. To survive, uh. the, to survive the incident, was taken to the hospital under, under an alias and released weeks later. No criminal charges were brought against Red, but a jury, a jury in a civil suit awarded uh, monetary um, damages to the families of the victims. The suit, which awarded over a million dollars to the families for two but men that killed. That motherfucker should be in prison, though. He, he should be people. definitely in prison. That's some bullshit. That's why That's after a, this. There's another sign of, man, if you're rich, you can get away with anything. You can literally get away with murder. And yeah. he's not even like the super rich. Imagine what the billionaires can get away with. Everything. Agreed. 
I agreed. Um, this, you know, uh, Eric read. Um, he did, he wrote uh, um, Near so Dark. Bad Moon, which I like. I know that I remember people kind of shitting too. on that back in the day. I like Bad Moon, I like Steel, um, of course, Blue one Steel. of my fucking favorite. And then of course Near Dark, like Jesus Christ, I had no idea he wrote Near Dark. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me, I thought Cameron wrote that for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I, I guarantee. I know it was Bigelow directing, but I just thought he did. I, I guarantee you, he had a hand. He definitely had a hand in it, though, for for sure. Um, and he also right, wrote, they were kind of helping each other out. I know he helped her with Strange Days, right? Yeah, that's that? that's the one I'm thinking of. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, but she, he definitely he definitely helped her out with, with giving like giving giving her like uh uh you know Lance Henriksen and a bunch of uh, Bill Paxton. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, it's basically the whole cast of Aliens. Yeah, and go, uh, or the, your, you know the main army army cast. What? I said it's basically like the whole army cast of aliens. Oh yeah, <laughs> all the space, all the space marines. And I want to mention, uh, uh, he did, he did, he wrote and directed a movie called Body Parts, which is pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, dude, um, that was killer. And uh, Cohen and Tate, remember that movie? I think it's like Nicholas Cage and Samuel Jackson or something like that. No, I thought they were like an Amos and Andrew. Or something That's Amos maybe. and Andy. Yeah, yeah, and, okay, Cohen, yeah, something like that. Cohen and Tate is uh, with. Um, uh, with uh, Adam Baldwin oh, Roy and Roy Schneider. And Adam Baldwin, yeah. Huh. It's, it's a fucked up movie. It's really gross and <laughs> mean spirited. Oh God! A lot of it starts. Is. The, the tagline: "When a little boy witness witnesses a mob hit, I'm like, oh God, he is kidnapped <laughs> by two professional assassins. I'm like, oh God, here we go. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's um, gonna be terrible. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. yeah, I know, I know, in that kind of way. I will mention this one more thing. Uh, this movie yeah. he did with Famke Jensen called Hundred Feet. It's oh, not Famke really Jensen, good... dude. I am in love with her. Jesus oh, I am Christ. Too. Uh, it's not a great movie, but it has one of the most brutal, like, ghost killings I've ever seen in a movie. Like, an, cool. uh, uh, you gotta see it. I mean, you just, just watch that scene, and it's like, what the fuck am I watching? But yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But, uh, yeah, that's all about Eric Red. The, the, the director, um, dude, loves hanging out with uh, Magnum P.I., man. He did a lot of those boot, those uh, Tom Selleck. Was, huh? Tom Selleck. Yeah, did you look at his IMDb? Who Tom Selleck's or Eric? No, Ray? no, the, the the I'm sorry, the director here, uh, uh, Robert Harmon. Oh no, <laughs> check this out. He um, so this is his second movie that he directed. He did a movie called Eyes of an Angel with jo- uh, John Travolta. Uh, that that movie Nowhere to Run with uh, John Claude Van Damme. Remember oh, that? Oh shit, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, he did he did that Gotti movie from the early '90s with uh, Armand Asante in it. And then I forgot, I forgot all about that one. Yeah, then he did a movie. I remember you remember. I'm sure you remember this. That movie called Highwaymen from like 2000s, the early 2000s, with like I want to say like Dennis Quaid or something, but it's very similar to. I really oh, don't. Jimmy Jim Caviezel, that's it. Ronna Mitchell, um, but it's very much like a Hitcher movie. I remember when it was coming out, it was like from the director of the original Hitcher, all that stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, but, I don't think I ever saw that one. <laughs> I don't remember if it's any good, but I um, like from starting from like. 2004 to like uh, 2015, up into the show Blue Bloods, which he directed 21 episodes. He did these Jesse Stone movies. That's all this guy's done. That's crazy, man. It's crazy. He he directed (laughs) all of them. Like, it's insane. Anyways. Let's get man found, his, man found his niche, I guess. He's like, I'm gonna get, if I'm going <laughs> to keep doing this stupid shit, I'm going to get paid well for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're going to do anything, don't do it for free. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, this is a, a very uh, creepy movie. Um, it definitely helps with Rutger Hauer being involved in it. Obviously, a lot of the things that he says and his sort of like, he has he doesn't have any kind of plan. He's just like, um, 
uh, he's a wild card. He's like a ghost, man. He just pops up yeah. and like jumps in and out of it, it's crazy how he just comes up out of nowhere so many times in this movie. It's like, how could no one not see this giant shark coming right up behind? You know what I mean? I like, know. What the hell? It's so <laughs> weird. But it's great. I love the movie. It's it's more like kind of more like a like a psychological, you know, kind of eerie, spooky kind of side to it. Not only is he just a psychopath, but he's apparently like, you know, otherworldly. It's weird. Yeah, I agree with that. Um kind of Kind of like uh, there's like a uh, the serial killer like in uh, um, Dust Devil or something like that. He just kind of right voodoo about him. You know, he can just show up whenever he wants to kill tons of cops. You know, get away. Well, it's with like it. you know, it's yeah. like the Pell Rider. You know what I mean? Even though oh, sure. he's for justice, this guy is more you know not. No, <laughs> <laughs> I love the scene when he puts team. the pennies on his eyeballs. Uh, puts on uh, see some of his oh Powell's yeah like eyeballs. for crossing the river sticks. Cross, crossing the river sticks, man. It's for Sharon, dude. I love that scene. Up and move alive. Oh wait, wrong sticks. Feels <laughs> <laughs> um, it just feels the whole movie. You just feeling fucking terrible for C. Thomas Howell, man. Right. Like this gets oh, fucked God, over. This poor kid. <laughs> and like it, you know, this movie has a lot of really great wide open shots. I would love to see a 4K 4K transfer of this one day. I bet it would um, look incredible. I looked it up because that, that's been one of my pet peeves about this movie for a long time too. I'm like, why isn't this thing fucking put on Blu-ray or 4K? Yeah, I think it's in like 720p here on um um hbo i had to break out my i couldn't watch it like that i had to watch i had to i broke out my old dvd of it to watch it well it changes the frame the frame does it doesn't stay that small frame the whole time it expands. Oh, okay okay because uh, yeah. i checked I it like on it was on 2b i think too i was like wait what the hell is going on so i checked I there know. and it was the same there and i just fast forward a little bit i was like oh okay it's just <laughs> okay. maybe that's really just how it was in the intro but whatever yeah right um and then it's just the standard flat frame you know with the, the mm -hmm. big bars on the side instead of yeah. the top that's the version i have on dvd um, but, um, so I looked at, looked it up and apparently in 2000, see 2019, uh, the first blue was made, um, in Germany of all places. And then in 2022, I actually noticed Germany produces a lot of random. I've been noticing that lately when I go I, to eBay and look for like movies that right. I really want, but I can't find Blu-ray. It's always a fucking German version that actually that, works here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that Dust Devil Blu-ray I have is a German Blu-ray. Um, I'm gonna have to get one. I finally have a Ford Clay 4K D uh, player, so I'll be able to yeah. just you know bypass all that shit. Yeah. Um. In 2022, um, a site this place of, I have a couple of these dudes movies too. It's called Second Sight. They updated it finally into Blu-ray and 4K standards. And then um, I oh I put this note at the end for some reason. I guess I must have uh, lost it. But Europe also was the first one who created, uh, and I think the only one that's created a special two-disc edition in 03. I've never seen that before. So. Huh. Yeah, uh, I didn't know about that either. Um, I missed the, I just kept watching this kind of, I really missed the TriStar logo, man. That was a great logo. I know, right? God, just yeah. the, the fucking Pegasus flying in. And the music, <laughs> it's all really great. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love, um, uh, uh, the whole, the whole like dialogue with him when he first picks him up and, you know. Oh no, yeah, you're not going to see him because I cut off his legs and then his head. And it's just the way he delivers that. It's like, what the fuck? It's like, it, it, before all that, he is just throwing all the red flags you could ever oh, fucking imagine. So much. It's so creepy. Like, I was reading too that, like, when he threatens him with the knife, um, Hucker was just, you know, or Rutger Howard was was um, improvising all that, like where he held the knife to his eye and all that shit. So oh, C. Sal was really fucking terrified. Oh yeah, <laughs> he didn't know I he was gonna get that close to his eye. I read that. Um, I'm sure you read that too. But like, uh, C. Thomas Howard was what, he really wanted to work with Rutger Howard, and when 
he started working with me. He was just fucking terrified of him every on single day. On and off, day. yeah, on and off <laughs> the changed. set, he said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or on um, and off from shooting, you know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, but I, I, I love the um, uh, when he when he gets in the car and they shake hands, and she tells how it's like, you know, I'm I'm uh, Riley uh, Halsey. Something Halsey. I forget his first name. Jim Halsey. That's it. And um, Richard Howard's yeah. like, he's like John Stryker or whatever. What's it called? Ryder? John Ryder. Ryder. Because he's based he's like, off. Uh, I read something that the screenwriter uh, kind of used lyrics from Riders on the Storm by the Doors as inspiration. Like, There's a killer on the run. Like, they go yeah, all okay. that shit. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. I, I do love how he, when he says his last name, it's like he's coming up with the name. Like, yeah, I mean, it, to me, I'm thinking name? like, oh, Ryder. I, I, if I was driving, I'd be like, oh, it's just he's just giving a fake name because he didn't want to tell me his real name. I get it. We're riding in a car. Smart guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I didn't even think about that. But Not yeah, that clever. Okay. Right. Um, did you notice? I didn't notice this before. I see this movie like a lot of times. But um, did you notice he has he wears two wedding rings on his finger? Yes. And so I, what I thought was interesting about that is maybe he got those from the. You know, and spoiler, 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 spoiler. When he kills the family, maybe that's like the dad's finger, and he took that wedding ring or something. Yeah. You know, that's what I was thinking too. I that's was thinking that as fuck. It's, I was uh, I was thinking that, or I was thinking like like his wife died, and he's just trying to die. But I was like, I, it's probably the other way around. I don't probably. think he's ever been married. I think no. this guy is like, a, yeah, is he, it's a tro- he kills, it's trophies for him, like a serial killer. Yeah, he kills kids and everyone. So yeah, he sure does, doesn't he? <laughs> Um, there's some really awesome action in it too. This this, ga- this gas station explosion is fucking huge and awesome. Um, oh yeah, man, such a cool stunt. Apparently, Howard did a lot of. Or, God, I keep saying that. Rucker Howard kept doing all of his own stunts too, or doing oh, yeah. a lot of his own stunts. You could tell, man. I mean, this is the this is the time where like Rucker Howard's like, I'm doing everything. Like I'm fucking. Yeah. In, I'm gonna go totally deep into go and go fucking crazy with it. I'm going um, Robert De Niro method. Yeah, I'm going Robert De Niro <laughs> I'm gonna start method. killing motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> like when he gets hit, when Halsey hits him and he flies back, and then you cut to like him rolling and falling into the sand. He's putting his face in the fucking sand. You can tell it's all him, man. He's not oh, fucking yeah. around. Well, when he jumps, I, I was reading in the trivia uh, that whenever he jumps onto the truck with the shotgun at the end out of the back of the bus or whatever. Yeah. Like he accidentally hit himself in the face with the shotgun and knocked out one of his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> He was fully committed, man. But that's him jumping. That's crazy. Or like, you know, him landing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Hey, kid. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I love that scene. It's so great. Me too, man. I love um, I love how sweaty Rucker Howard is in this movie. He's like dripping sweat, like every scene he's in. And I mean, you know, they are on the desert, but you're right. Texas, like, yeah. I think the only time he's not is the the sequence where he's in the bar or barn with him or whatever. But he's yeah. still wiping himself with a napkin. What's kind of funny, like in the dust storm or whatever, which I thought yeah, was like yeah. cool, like almost dreamlike sequence. Oh, I completely agree. And it kind of reminded me of like a little like Max Payne esque, I guess, just being in the sand. It just reminded me of like the wasteland. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. It it, it it's, I mean they. I think we talked about it before with like no country for old men, but like man, Texas is just like a great place for like for like to shoot a movie like this. Like this oh, is like a no man's open. land. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like hopeless, like phone. Like you can see all this stuff. Like really have like the phones would all be fucking dead. Just like old houses or old gas stations just left there. You know right. stuff like that. Cops, you can't. You know you gotta get to a pay phone. You know there's no cell phone back then. So like it's just it just builds that fucking tension, man. Yeah, absolutely, and they do it because it, you feel it makes you feel even more isolated, you know. Right. Like, and you know, even and, and you know these inept cops ain't gonna fucking help. I swear to God, horror movies. I used to think it was a trope with these inept cops, but no, cops are just that dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Or I unwilling mean, to listen. 
I, totally, I was going to bring that up. Totally, when, they, when, when he calls them from the, the, the bar and grill or whatever, um, and he's like saying, sir, yes, sir, I'll be here, sir. And he waited, yeah, he waited for them polite. to get there. And he waited for them to get there, and they still like hold the gun to his, his head. They beat him, beat him up pretty bad too. Like, right, all this shit. And it's it's pretty. You feel bad for the dude, man, the whole time. Right, <laughs> and then like the one cop that's like, any fool could see he ain't no killer. He gets killed later yeah. too. <laughs> that's a brutal scene, man. It's a it's a really good scene too. But they're interrogating yeah. him. They're calling the, the phone, and they have like the speakerphone hooked up, and they let it ring for a little bit, and. That the, the uh, drive away place is like, we're not open on Saturdays. And he's like, fuck. Um, right. Okay. Call my brother. He's definitely home. He's definitely will be there. He gives him the number. Like, they let it ring for like five times. They just hang up. He's like, you should let it ring longer. Yeah. It was like four times he hangs yeah, up. Yeah. Brutal, man. <laughs> so brutal. Good scene. Very good scene. Um, let's talk about, um, I got to mention this real quick. Uh, let's talk about the the release of it and the, the sort of the critics. <laughs> Oh yeah, it, this movie was received terribly. <laughs> yeah, really. I, I didn't ever realize because I I didn't know this ever was released to theaters because it's p- co-produced by HBO. So I just thought it was an HBO movie. But um, TriStar was was uh, obligated to release this to 800 theaters or whatever because yeah. they're hooked up with HBO and they have to put it out. And oh, I, I don't. I, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, good, you're good. I, mean, I was like, I don't. I think I saw that it made like five million dollars. I don't really know how much it was made for, so I don't really it's know. It's a six million dollar budget. Uh, it almost made it back then, but oh well. What I did think was funny about the future president George W. Bush served on the board of the company that lent the money to HBO to fin- finance this movie. <laughs> it was so poorly received that during the 2000 presidential election, Bush's critics used his involvement in the hitcher to discredit his stance on family <laughs> values and his criticism of pervasive violence in Hollywood movies. It's like, God damn it. Of it course. And George W. probably like, man, I just thought it was like a cool movie, like people died, you know? That's <laughs> what I do. I'm W. I blow shit up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure George W. Bush, the first one, um, pretty sure uh, he's like the he's the dude who pardoned like uh, Henry Lee Lucas too back in the day. So, I mean, it's kind of weird oh, that he directed I'm, this. I'm not sure. Yeah, it, uh, it's cool. It's kind of funny. Well, he if, didn't direct um, it. He just worked on the board of the company. I mean, that yeah, I didn't mean directed. I mean, yeah, uh, but it's kind of funny if you think about it, though. He let he pardoned like one of the most uh, uh, famous, infamous hitchhiker killers of all time. And he produced a movie called The Hitcher. You know, That's pretty interesting. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Um, so uh, uh, Robert e, uh, Robert Ebert and Siskel uh, and Gene Siskel gave this movie zero stars. Um, you don't even get a thumb. Yeah, don't even get a thumb. <laughs> you know I mean, it's crazy. These guys gave. Uh, I mean, like Roger Ebert gave fucking Anaconda four stars. It's like, it's like three stars. <laughs> wow. It's ridiculous. But um, he ordered it no stars, arguing that the uh, identification of the film's hero with the killer is hollow because the killer has no backstory or. Or even motive. Like most serial killers don't really have motive. Or Well, I wish they, they would just be honest about it. They're pissed off because the girl dies. That's all it they're, is. They're pissed off because the girl and dies. They're pissed off and it, and brutally so. <laughs> brutally so. Brutally so. Which is funny. Um, apparently apparently record Howard walked them into or told talked them into that idea of doing it the truck way. That's a better idea. Yeah, I agree. Like a way better idea. The fact I don't I don't get it. Like they don't find it fascinating that he's just kind of like He's a nobody. Like he doesn't need a backstory to be a good character. He's a great right. character with no. You, the whole time you're still questioning whether or not his name is actually uh, John Ryder, man. I mean, it's that's how good it is. But they don't even believe the kid for the first half of the movie either. You know what I mean? No. So the cops don't. So it's it's not surprising to me that other authority type 
people outside of it wouldn't enjoy or receive this movie well, you know. Now nah, it's, it's I'm thinking back. Uh, I was thinking about it when I was reading the the uh, the uh, the critic stuff, and I'm like, it's a pretty fucking bleak movie. I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's very nihilistic, completely. Very nihilistic, and it kind of comes from. I think it comes a lot from Eric Red. A lot of those movies he did are pretty nihilistic movies. Yeah. Uh, with sometimes with a sort of like sci-fi or horror twist to it, but I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, even but like, oh, but it's always very morbid too. Oh yeah, it's always like that scene where he's eating the French, where, where uh, he's eating the French fries and the. He, Goes picks up another French fry up. Well, thinks the French fry into a fucking finger. Great, great scene by the way. <laughs> it's so it's great. awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And you know what's coming. It's like okay, oh, what's yeah. it gonna be? <laughs> what's it gonna be? <laughs> Is it gonna be a thumb? We're gonna get a pinky. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> right, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Pete called it uh, a more a more. It's a not a, called it a nauseating thriller and a thinly veiled but more gruesome ripoff of Steven Spielberg's du- uh, duel. <laughs> I mean, good. it's kind of like so, Google, but, but I mean, I, I can understand what he means. It's a road kind of terror movie, really. Yeah. Um, and he is an unstoppable force, so I get that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's just it's still too very different from that at the same time. I agree. I totally agree. Um, Variety called it a, a highly unimaginative slasher with a script Damn. that has many holes. Wow, brutal, man. <laughs> Look at this. This Washington Post dude uh, critic uh, Paul. Atanzio wrote the script by Eric Red is uh, iconic in a dull way, much keen but hardly able. <laughs> oh my wow. God! Jesus. Very punny. Yes. Very, very <laughs> funny. Anyways, I just want to mention that real quick because yeah, I it's, it's a shame that it was received so poorly because it's a really great just horror yeah. flick slasher flick. Yeah, I mean it's a very. I mean, you know, you have these. You have. It's funny that it's really funny that Roger Ebert and uh, Siskel. Uh, they gave it that kind of that kind of rating, the zero stars, because like you know, this has way more depth in it than say uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and they fucking hated well, those movies. Well, that's so. I'm thinking maybe that's why they just even though seeing it, they just lumped it into that category. It's, oh it's, right, you know, okay. This came out what eighty six. It's the height of all of that. Yeah, and also kind of the nauseating kind of mid lull of you know. Friday the 13th, three, four, and five, and same with some of those shitty Freddy Krueger movies too. Yeah, you know? I completely agree. I, I didn't even think about. It. Yeah, you're probably right. They're probably just so upset they have to fucking cover another uh, another movie. goddamn slasher movie. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> even though yeah, it is a great I, one, they may not is. even see it that way because they just refuse to. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. It's like you know, I've gone into movies reading reviews prior and i have a tainted view on it afterwards already and then if i really don't like the content then it's like oh it's just a complete pile of shit you know maybe in hindsight years later i'm like okay i was just you know influenced by other things really right right yeah that's why i kind of i've I've stopped doing that that looking at the reviews for the most part yeah because it just i don't want that shit to influence me at all well and now i mean fuck they give away so much in a trailer alone i definitely (sighs) want to read a fucking review (laughs) you know what i mean like that's a good point it's 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 crazy. You'll get an entire fucking season of a television show and all of its like turning points and everything <laughs> in a I two agree. and a half, three minute trailer now. It's crazy. Yeah, they they, they do give away lots of things now in, in certain movies, man. I'm it's like I've already I feel like I've seen most of the movie already. It's crazy. Right. I don't um, know, I forgot it's like uh there was something recently, I can't remember what it was, but two two major characters are like coming back for something. And you find out, like, when the show was coming, that they're only in, like, one episode and it was supposed – oh, it was, like, one of those reality shows. They're bringing back, like, two of the famous people oh, really? or whatever. 
And um, but they hyped it up so much during all of the commercial and advertising for it. Like it's supposed <laughs> to be a surprise when they come out on the show. And we're like, well, no, you at, we know they're on it. You advertise. You know what I mean? Like you've been <laughs> yeah. telling us for three fucking months they're going to be on it. <laughs> it's yeah. like this. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, but uh, and this tra- the trailer for this is pretty damn good, too. I like the trailer for it. Uh, oh, me, too. It's creepy. This is the first time I've ever seen uh, I've ever seen someone shoot a helicopter down with a pistol while driving. That was pretty. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he must have been a hell of a shot to hit those rotor blades. Just a like, hell of a shot, incredibly so. You never see him hit it, but it just starts to get the helicopter starts getting a little weird. And it's wild. an incredible stunt because they obviously just have like a smoke thing on the tail end, but then yeah. the, the pilot has to fly that maneuver. Like that was a really, really, really cool, cool yeah, scene. Cool. And if that, and that then you can tell that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, because it keeps going. You know what I mean? You think it's yeah. kind of ending and then it takes right back off even more. Yeah. Um, and I also love to whenever the helicopter does get shut down, shot down, you can tell once it it's like the dropping <laughs> yeah. sequence that yeah, it was just attached to a crane and there's like, kapoo! <laughs> just letting that motherfucker totally. Yeah, you can totally it's see so great. Drop. Um, but like they, they're chasing uh, that chase, man. It's like the, between those two cops and. They're just blowing off the door. They're shooting all this, like, the the lights out, man. It's fucking intense. And then, See, like... They're insane. There's no way those two would have survived that. There's No, no, They're no, fucking no. blasting shotguns all yeah. over that damn thing. <laughs> Killed the fuck out of them, man. It's I an mean, awesome like, shot, though, man. They, there's, like you said, it's kind of surprising how great... Like, this. these have, like, you know, Hollywood blockbuster action-level style stunts. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really yeah. well done. I completely, I completely agree, man. That, that, that um... That uh, uh, that scene where like when the helicopter crashes and that fucking state trooper car comes and he fucking rails over it, it's awesome, man. It flips <laughs> and shit. Like, whoa, dude. Well, they both flip, right? Or, or is, I think or so. They, yeah. No, no, no. They don't both flip. I, I'm, I think the, the the ones that both flip whenever they're getting shot with the shotguns and it hits the brakes. <laughs> yeah, hits the brakes. That's, that's that fucking that shot fucking of like cool. uh, Howard uh, coming up because uh, uh, that, there's a scene where uh, C. Thomas Howell basically. Uh, hijacks this uh, these two constables' car, but they he gets one dude to handcuff him and put him in there, and he has the other guy drive, and he sits behind him, and um, he finally gets a hold of uh, Jeffrey Demun's character, the captain. He's like, just, you know, if you're willing to bring yourself in, lay down the arms, you'll, I'll listen to you, I promise. And he's like, finally, someone's gonna listen to me. Then all of a sudden, Roger Howard comes up and shoots this fucking constable in the head, shoots, shoots them both, everywhere. Just yeah, kills shoots him. everywhere. It's like, oh my god, man, this poor kid can't catch a fucking break. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, the only he, breaks he's catching are death sentences for everyone else around him. Yeah. <laughs> totally, man. He's getting everybody fucking killed. I, but the, it's a really cool scene though when he finally stops the car and he runs out. He's like screaming and shit. And he's like contemplates suicide. Like fuck oh, it, yeah. they're never gonna be now, man. I'm fucking dead. Yeah, I don't blame him. Like you. No, I don't either. It's and it's funny too. I keep writing my notes. It's like once again he pops up like a ghost, <laughs> kills more good guys, more deaths on you. See Thomas yeah. Allen. I'll go like two <laughs> lines down. Once again he shows up. <laughs> Blasting the cops away, more dead bodies for you, see. Because <laughs> of course it's all going to be pinned on this crazy kid now. Right, right. Um, and frankly, I could see why they wouldn't understand his story. You know what I mean? Even though everything else is pointing against that completely, it's still totally. just like, yeah. I like, I like it too when they those two find him later and they were going to fucking like execute him basically. Oh right, just yeah. Just be done with that. I was like, shit. Which would probably happen after they start killing their friends. You know, right? Their right. brothers in arms, all that bullshit. All that bullshit, yeah. And you can tell, like, it's such, it's, it's so fucking Texas. Like, it's just like, I just feel it. Like the whole, like, um, you know, you sp- you spit on my wrist. I mean, hell, you see, you see the Texas, you know, the state troopers' cars still still have the same color scheme or whatever. They're yeah, not using the old Chevys anymore. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> like, yeah, that, you're that's... right. The cowboy hats and everything, the voice, yeah. and everything. 
that that scene where you like you spit on my you spit on my wrist or whatever. Remember that scene? It's awesome. It's like it's super intense. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Very he's, gonna, he's, he's just gonna execute him right there. And the other guy's like, "Hey man, you maybe calm down a little bit. No, no, you killed two of my best, my one of my best friends, man." That's whenever Jennifer Jason Lee comes out with the gun. She's like, "Hey now," and she can <laughs> yeah, tell she's now. never shot a fucking gun in her life. No, she no. holds it. No, no, no. no they like got no. the limp, limp wrist kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that's a three fifty seven. That's gonna break your wrist if you shoot it like that. When she shoots the, the the ground, like it's, I was like, man, did she like accidentally shoot or like was she like directed to shoot it, the it comes gun out of nowhere? <laughs> yeah, it's like totally out of nowhere, man. And even the uh, actor looks scared, like, bitch, I know it's a bike, but damn, <laughs> calm down, calm down, bitch. Um, it's it, it's cool though, like like it's it, it's realistic in that way because you know she probably has never shot a gun before, and like it's like uh, and with with Halsey. Uh, see Thomas Hell's character when he's like in that bus bathroom and he's trying to like unlo- like trying to open up the the chamber of the gun to put bolts in it. He just has no idea what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> and I, but I like how they use that. And later on, you see him flick that thing open, check the bolts, oh, yeah. and pop it back. So you know he, he's evolving. He's no he's longer evolving. the innocent child. He's yeah. a motherfucker out there. It's got to take this son bitch down. Yeah. Um. Well, let's talk about Jennifer Jason Lee. She, oh, she's she, excellent. She's awesome. She's, I, I love she's her. probably the best act, the best um, character and actor in the whole. I love Howard, but like she's like a real person. If you she's know like what I mean, a real like, person. yeah, that's that's what I like about her character the most. Yeah, she fits in very, very well. Like Jeffrey Demond, they they both fit in that world like perfectly. Yeah, and I, I mean, love you, Texas that's, accent, yeah, dude. Especially Jeffrey Demond, it's like, yeah, I've I've seen cops like that. I've known people <laughs> just like that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Growing up in small town in southeast Texas. Yeah, man. This is my and grandpa. Not, that's not derogatory. You know what I mean, I no, just, no, I just no. know the type. Yeah, yeah, me too. Some, uh, you know, when us Texas fellows, uh, we watch a movie that's supposed to be based in Texas. You <laughs> can really attention. feel it. Yeah, we pay attention. Um, but uh, uh, she's a really good character. Her name's Nash, and. Um, um, Which what a badass name for a female character. It is a very badass name, yeah. And uh, she's uh, when he's when he's talking when she's talking to him about like you know where he going. He's like going to California. And she's like ah. he's like what what uh what's the problem or whatever. And she's like everybody's everybody's no going there. Everybody's going she to calls California. and she's like going to California and like she says at the same time. He oh yeah, you're right. right. <laughs> no, it's funny. It is. It is funny. It, it's it, and it speaks to that. That again. That small town Texas, small town mentality is like, get me the fuck out of here. I'd rather be anywhere right. else. Where and you, you know, she's man. worked there for so long. She's heard the exact same things a thousand times over. You oh, know. I'm sure. Yeah. Um. She gets a particularly brutal death. She. It's fucking uh, horrendous. Yeah, it is. And um, I do. I have seen the remake of this movie. Yeah, uh, they they flip it around. They flip around and they and I think it's C. Thomas Howell if it happens. It gets uh well no, it's not it's not him. It's it's like the instead oh. of the girl being killed, it's the boyfriend, you know, and like the boyfriend, girl's like it. the Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was like, uh, ah. But I mean yeah. the, the remake wasn't that bad, honestly. I thought it was gonna be like a you know, a, a negative one. And I'd I'd give it like a five because I expected so much worse than it ended up being. Sure. Uh, you, you have good yeah, make a good point. Um but uh, don't they, but in that movie don't they, they show like the body get ripped in half, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and especially there's the unrated version that's even more brutal. Like I said, oh, it's shit. a fun slasher, but compared to this one, it's just not even. And I love Sean Bean; yeah. he does a good job in that movie. But you know, he's just no Rutger Hauer. Sean Bean is this—he's just too nice. He's Boromir. <laughs> like, he's fucking Ned Stark. He's the guy that gets his head lopped off because he's too fucking honorable. <laughs> Like in that, movie, <laughs> in that movie, in that movie, in the history remake, uh, he kind of reminds me of the character he played in like uh, in Ronin, kind of. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Like, but like the version that 
he's like because he's he's pretending to be a badass in that movie. And, he, and like in the Hitcher, he's like he become that badass. Like, yeah, but you know, but the only difference is yeah, I I see what you're saying, but he's just such a whiny little bitch in Ronan. It's hard yeah, for me is. to like. <laughs> yeah, I know, you know, I he know. must have been doing some hard time after that, so I can see. Yeah, I guess just you know, Robert, the threat of Robert De Niro chasing you, I guess, is enough to make you scared <laughs> the rest of your life. Right. Um, have you ever seen the uh, Hitcher Part Two? Oh no, I never have. I, I know that C. Thomas Howell is in it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's been a long time. So it was a straight to VHS thing. Um, but um, I it don't took him re- like fifteen years or something, or thirteen Some- years to to do the sequel because it kept changing so many. Um, the rights kept changing so many different hands. Oh really? I didn't realize that. No, I don't. Um, I forget who the lady is because then the lady becomes sort of the C. Thomas Howell. Because C. Thomas, yeah, he's in it, but like I can't remember. Know. Yeah, uh, but, I can't. Like Jeremy, like I said, I think I watched that one time. One time for me, buddy. like yeah. thirteen, fourteen, maybe. Yeah, uh, I, I do know. I do remember that. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jake Busey is the history of that movie. So that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Like, how, <laughs> just cast his dad if you want to get someone a little yeah, closer. He's, that he would never take that would Kind of funny to see, actually. Yeah, uh, it'd be fun to do one Halloween to cover it. Oh, I'm down. Yeah, you can't. You'd have to buy it. I was looking up for it earlier, and I think it's like only available cheap DVD versions on Amazon. Oh, really? Like, yeah, I do that for like seven bucks. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, she, you know, um, he's uh, Howell's trying to get out of town. He's on, he's on a bus, a coach bus, and uh, Peter Jason Lee's there, and and she believes him that he's not a killer. Uh, yeah. but simultaneously. Uh, I mean, she gets pretty much dragged into all this, and you can tell at one point when they make it back to the hotel, she's like, "Okay, I I should probably just stay on the fucking bus." You know, because... and it, yeah, yeah, I think she's thinking that a lot, probably like when the shotgun blasts are going off by her fucking head yeah, in the car. Yeah. But I feel like you know, it's, it, during that scene, I I love that sequence. But like he tells her, "Don't fucking call anybody," and sure enough, she calls her dad. Yep, and I feel like that's why she got killed. Even though, even if she hadn't called anyone, Huck, or Rucker Howard would have just shown up in the fucking room anyway. Yeah. Probably <laughs> yeah. just steal time, lady. That's a uh, that's pretty intense. Seeing him like like touching her hair and like smelling it and like it's oh, fucking yeah. creepy as fuck. And I love see how it sounds in the shower. And he um when she's she's not answering him and she opens the door and she's gone. He rips that fucking shower rack p- oh, pole yeah. off the wall. And it's all really well shot, like him running like through all the 18 wheelers and stuff. And then the, the cop light. cars is whizzing by and shit. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? He almost gets hit like three times there, finally turns around and runs. It's like, yeah, man, you should have figured out the first one. <laughs> but then runs right into more cops. <laughs> and right it's into so, more cops. You don't know what's going on. It's, you know that she's been captured, but right. I definitely didn't expect that what's coming is what's coming. <laughs> right. Yeah. I didn't expect that either. That they, The fact that like. You know, he's like, well, you do something. He's like, he's like, we shoot him in. Like, his foot's gonna, it's gonna press on the gas. Like, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, but you know, I, I see a lot of, I've seen, you see a lot of movies, and usually they get hit and they fall forward and they fucking like <laughs> head on the horn and shit. You know, maybe his, maybe his foot would have fell on the brake. I don't know. I was even wrote the things. notes like, so she is, let's, you know, so she is tied from head to toe, stretched out like, like you'd be over a fucking Barbie or something, barbecue right. pit, and uh, they. And she's attached to one truck that's mobile or stationary, and he's got her ch- attached to his. And if he lets off the clutch, going to rip her apart. And I was thinking, like, can't you have like two snipers and, like shoot the ropes at the same time? <laughs> at least try, <laughs> at least try something. At least you know, instead something. of just letting this motherfucker, you know, I get it. I mean, yeah. it's if you don't try, she she dies regardless. At least if you try, you give her some kind of a chance. Something. I don't know. I felt that that was weird that they're just all standing by and allowing this to keep going. Yeah. You know, I, shoot I, the I fucking tires in the trucks. Shoot, That's like, I, I mean, too. there's, 
I just don't understand. Yeah, it's an awesome idea, but I feel like there's so many ways that they could have, you know, told, prevented it. I mean, like the thing is, though, like you don't even have to shoot both the ropes at the same time. Just shoot the, the ones that are attached to the car, and she's That's fine. A, right. Exactly. Exactly. Focus on, and I get it's close to her hands and feet on either side. If you know, you're, you, there's right. always the worry of missing. Yes. But yeah. you know, at least you're fuck. She, I think she'd rather be missing some fingers than you know, yeah, like her intestines and her entire <laughs> middle totally section. Agree. God, it's so brutal. And they don't they don't show it. They fade to black as she's screaming. And of course she's a great actress. So she is a screaming. Yeah, she's a screaming. <laughs> Feels fucking oh man, it's brutal. And it's just it's just as effective. Like I, I knew when that, that remake is gonna come out, they're like I, I knew before I even saw the movie, like they're gonna show somebody get ripped in half. They just have they can't be, you know, clever about it anymore. They have to just show all the fucking violence, man. And don't get me wrong, I love all the violence. It's a lot of fun to watch. I love practical effects, but I mean there's something about it just kind of this being a good movie just kind of you can already you can think about it it's it happened yeah <clears throat> i figured it out <laughs> yeah i agree and i feel like but even with the grotesque grotesqueness and just atrocities in this movie it's still very it's still a well-made film like the the dream sequences whenever he's in the jail cell are it's fucking great. horrifying and creepy and then he wakes up the jail's empty that whole sequence of him seeing the dog and then dog. following the dog out the dog's licking the officer's blood the only yeah. officer who fucking believed him too yeah <laughs> yeah i didn't even think about it's that you such, got a good point they, they add the tension level so well and build it up it's it gives me carpenter vibes just in yeah. terms of how they're letting that tension just build 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 you know it's yeah, like man. It's like they're finally hitting the pause button in this fucking movie, and then it leads to this horrific <laughs> fucking thing. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah, I agree. And then I love how they put the shadows too on the corner of the wall when he's, he first comes into like out of the jail cell, and then like you see some stuff move and stop, and some he starts moving forward, and he sees oh, some yeah. more shadows, and it's like you find it's it's a fucking dog, and he's like, whoa, what the fuck is happening? Uh, okay. And it's just all super intense, man. Oh, then all those cops are showing up. He's like, fuck. Yeah. You know, like get out of there, dude. Now, yeah, you you need to run right now, you fucking idiot, because they're, they're, now you have a full police station of people that are pointing oh, yeah. at you. You'd like, once again, more bodies on you, see? <laughs> God. Um, yeah, but yeah, this movie's just like super, it's just super well made, it's super well acted, it's very intense. Oh, the um, soundtrack, man. I love the great. soundtrack during the I feel the, the soundtrack, too. It kind of gave me, like, Terminator vibes in terms oh, yeah, of, like, the, just the ta- chase sequence kind of feel to it. You know what I mean? Totally, Really, man. really loved it. I didn't even look that guy's name up at all. Jeez. I look yeah, up. I've, I've got my phone right here. I'll look Mark it up. Is, Mark Islam? Isham? Mark oh, Isham. I've heard that name before. Okay. Yeah. It's like Crash. Or, or maybe I'm thinking of Wayne Isham. I think they're brothers. Oh, okay. This guy's, <laughs> done, this guy's done a lot of stuff, though, man. Yeah. All the way back to Oh, wow. Yeah. The crash, the accountant. The, yeah. Oh, my God. 42. I don't know. Once Upon a Time. The Dude, Conjuring 2. Argo. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Cool oh, he's world. produced a lot, too. Wow. Yeah. He's done a lot of work in movies. Yeah. Rivers Run, River Run Through It. Uh, Vice and Men. He also did Nowhere to Run, <laughs> the Club Van Damme movie. Fire in the Sky. <laughs> oh, man. I forgot. That's awesome. Fire in the Sky. The Getaway with uh, Baldwin and Basin. That's a pretty good movie. Oh yeah, I forgot cop. about that one. The get, that's a remake too. It's like the re, the original's way better. Oh okay, I didn't realize. It's that. a Steve. It's a Steve McQueen and oh, the Ali, Steve McQueen movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was actually shot in San Marcos, Texas, where I live now. Oh no shit. Of it. Yeah, I love it. it was so funny. I watched that for the first time probably about six months ago, and they're like off of Hopkins in, in Guadalupe, and I'm like, what? wait. <laughs> and it's like, okay, it's just you know, it should just probably be a city. I checked the IMDb. It's like it was filmed in the Downstones area, of fucking San Marcos. Oh. Like what the shit? That's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. 
I'll make you one more. One oh, last he composed thing the unbearable that. weight of massive talent too. Marcus oh, that's Shum. awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, the, the like I just I had to bring that up too because the the soundtrack is just so killer in this movie. It adds oh. to the tension. And it's, yeah. I don't know, it's it's very, like, I, I, I hate to say, I hate to compare it to Terminator to, because it's still its own thing, too, you know? Right, it does right. a really good job of being just creepy and haunting, but also kind of, like, ethereal and just spooky. Really I weird. agree. Yeah. And he, he also cover, he also does music for the score for one of our favorite movies, Blade. Oh, nice. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I was gonna. I, I, made, I forgot to write that down though. In my notes, but yeah, I was gonna mention the score. The score is really good. It's very haunting, and it's very like because um, uh, 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 most of the movie is like just like the, the sound of what's happening in the scenes. But whenever it slows down, he hits that music in there. It's like, whoa, this is yeah, it's kind of digging into your skin a little bit, man. Oh yeah, man, I totally agree. But um, anyways, um, got anything else to add to this? No, man. I mean, uh, just you know how much I really love. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee in this movie, she was the best, and it's the best I've seen. Seen Thomas Allen, one of Huckers or Rucker yeah. too, man. So I don't understand why this movie. It just sucks. It was so poorly received for how great it really is. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's it's really ridiculous. It's really sad. I mean, I mean, I'm, I have the box, uh, the the DVD case. I mean, there are some people that really did give it some awesome reviews. I mean, it's got some really good reviews on the box. I wish I had it with me, but yeah, some right. people like give it like uh, really really great uh, reviews. But um, you know, everybody just pays attention to the fucking Siskel and Eber back in the days. Like, yeah. there's just no way. And right. um, you know, it's just a bummer that and, it took so long. Like, like America, it was made in America, and like. America has not made one Blu-ray for this or 4K for this. It has to all be foreign markets that do it. It's like, <laughs> what a bummer, man. Like, I know. And now I haven't looked at any of those, so I'm not sure if they have any, like, special uh, features or, or docs on them. But, like, it's kind of a shame because, like, Rutger Howard, he's passed away a long time ago now. And I'd love know, to see, he, like, if he something with him. Role, he, he really revered it as one of his best. Yeah, I've, I've heard him on a podcast talk about this role. And he really, he really, really dug it. And uh, I just love this have him you know see thomas howell talk about it and have jennifer jason lee talk about it and the director and eric red and you know it's like it's just a shame because i probably will never happen so right yeah well eric red's ass should be in prison but i understand the sentiment <laughs> but, but, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy it still blows my mind about that i had no idea it's, it's insane i i, I was um because uh, i was listening to like a horror like a, just like a movie podcast and they were covering near dark they were talking they, they oh, brought man. up they brought up eric red and they brought up what happened with him I'm like well, they said that something happened with him back in the early 2000s. That's fucking wild. And I'm like, what happened? And I just looked it up. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's nuts. His scar is gnarly too on his fucking neck. And I've seen him in interviews and shit. Like, whoa, fuck, dude. He really That's tried crazy. to kill himself. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, this is on HBO Max. It's on Hulu. To be, I think. Oh, Hulu. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, th- I think you can rent it on like iTunes or whatever. But um, uh, yeah, I guess your best bet to get this a nice version of this is. Uh, go on like um uh what's it called uh, the diabolique i forget what it's called it's a it's a, a cult sort of movie site but um i'm not yeah, sure i forget what it's called but I'll, I'll put it in the show notes wherever like i guess you have to go to those forum markets and pick one up like that yeah so. ebay usually you can find some pretty decent eBay, price yeah. and i've never had an issue with everything anything i've ordered on ebay except for the one thing i ordered from South Korea, right when the pandemic hit, it was my own fault. I was stupid. Oh yeah, you did that. Yeah, <laughs> well, it took like that. six months. <laughs> yeah, it took a long time. <laughs> but I did get it. <laughs> you did get it. Yes, it looks cool too. So it's a yeah. dude, it's a better tomorrow, a better tomorrow three trilogy. Yeah. Or oh, yeah, I just like it was incredible. 
Cool. Uh, well, uh, thanks everybody for checking us out. Uh, hope you guys go watch the Hitcher. It's a really great Halloween movie. And uh, well, it has nothing to do with Halloween. But it's a spooky. It's movie. spooky and fucked up, and it's got a really satisfying ending for how fucked up and terrible the movie is. I agree. I agree. I think it's got a very satisfying. That's why I haven't really said too many spoilers on this thing. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it's a it's a really fast paced movie. It doesn't let up. I mean, it's you get no you get once some... the gas hits, it stays down, man. Pedal to the yeah, fucking man. metal. It's probably yeah, pedal to the fucking metal. So uh, thanks everybody for checking us out. Happy Halloween once again from us over here at the show. From the boys. From the boys. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Uh, later. Mm-hmm.